welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Wade Matthew continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Now, here's Wade. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. What little face I can see. It's good to be in your presence again and uh, again the openers, uh, especially Hannah. Uh, I'm sure she didn't expect to sing solo through all of those songs, but uh, she wasn't singing alone and I'm sure the word, the Lord heard our voice um, because he hears our innermost thoughts. Uh, just a quick note, I want to thank just personally and uh, hopefully for all of you as well, all who have been involved in keeping things going. And I speak of the elders, I speak of deacons, I speak of uh, workers on maintenance and cleaning and all kinds of different situations like that. As you may or may not know, there's a lot of work involved in just coming to, to church this Sunday, for example. And uh, we want to thank them for their hard work. So uh, thank you very much. I want to welcome you to uh, the Bible Fellowship Medical Convention for Father's Day. June 2020. This is just to make David Huck feel a little bit more at home. I, Dave, I, I have no idea, Dave, how you go through a shift wearing one of these things. Uh, it's aggravating. Uh, it feels like it's isolating in many ways, but I know it's necessary and, uh, and we understand that. Um, today, the message is on faith. And it seems appropriate in light of what we've been through for the past 12, 14 weeks, whatever it happens to be. And I hope your faith has remained strong through that. As I went through different Bible versions and uh, sermons that I was able to read online, different things like that, this is a topic and this is a passage. There's only seven verses here. But there's more in these seven verses than... I ever expected. Uh, I know that, for example, uh, Charles Spurgeon has over eight hours of sermon on verse 1 and verse 7. That's one pastor. And uh, I'm not going to get into what he said in those versions, but uh, it is intricate. So um, I'm going to read those verses right now for you, and then we'll get into where we're headed. So we're in chapter 11, verses 1 to 7. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made by things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, and he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
doesn't seem like there's too much there. Seven verses and, uh, and yet so much to speak upon. I want to give you a little perspective on where I'm going this morning. As I listened to all of these different messages that were going on, I was reading a book, uh, believe it or not, that was recommended by Bill Gates for a summer reading. And it's called The Choice. And it's a book by Dr. Eva Egger, E-G-E-R. She is a Holocaust survivor. She lost her mother at Auschwitz. Uh, she had personal contact with Mengele, who I'm sure most of you know was the sinister, evil man who uh, put together many of the plans for these death camps, etc., etc. Um, she is still living today. She is a child psychologist and she deals with individuals as well as uh, large groups with regards to trauma, mostly military trauma, uh, but all kinds of different trauma. And as, as I was reading this book, it was impressive to see what she had said about Auschwitz, but that's not the part that caught me. It was some of the other things that she spoke about. And I'm going to read these and they come within about four or five pages at the beginning of the book. So she's not really talking about Auschwitz. She's talking about being in the United States in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, etc. But I just want you to, to listen to what she has to say and get the flavor of what she's coming at. Now, this is a Jewish woman who went through Auschwitz, suffered all those things. At Kennedy Airport recently, waiting for my flight home to San Diego, I sat and studied the faces of every passing stranger. What I saw deeply moved me. I saw boredom, fury, tension, worry, confusion, discouragement, disappointment, sadness, and most troubling of all, emptiness. It made me very sad to see so little joy and laughter. Even the dullest moments of our lives are opportunities to experience hope, buoyancy, happiness. Mundane life is life too, as is painful life and stressful life. Why do we often struggle to feel alive or distance ourselves from feeling life to the fullest? Why is it such a challenge to bring life to life? If you ask me for the most common diagnosis among people I treat, I wouldn't say depression or post-traumatic stress disorder, although these conditions are all too common among those I've known, loved, and guided in freedom. No, I would say hunger. We are hungry. We are hungry for approval, attention, affection. We are hungry for the freedom to embrace life and to really know and be ourselves. At some point, we will suffer some kind of affliction or calamity or abuse caused by circumstances or people or institutions over which we have little or no control. Sound familiar to what we're going through today? There is nothing that makes my pain worse or better than yours. No graph on which we can plot the relative importance of one sorrow versus another. But being a survivor, survivor, pardon me, being a thriver requires absolute acceptance of what was and what is and what is to come. This is a lady who went through unspeakable horrors. And she speaks of hope. It may not sound that way because the people that she was looking at didn't seem to have any. And I got thinking about that. And I got thinking about what if we were there to be the people that this book of Hebrews was written to? And what if we only had the first 11 chapters? 
up to verse, verse 7 as we're studying today. Could we find enough things in that book to reinvigorate us or to challenge us and bring us to Christ first? Maybe we weren't even in Christ. But the book was written to people who knew Christ but were frustrated, were flustered. So this morning what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to close your eyes and I'd like you to dream. Suppose that you were one of the people to who the book of Hebrews was written. You have a historic understanding of the law. You were taught it through the Pharisees and the synagogues. You know the law that was put forward under Moses. But you may have limited access to other scriptures. Of course, other scriptures are not easily gotten. Most of your teaching comes in the synagogues anyway. And that's where you get your learning. Time also is a luxury. So you don't have a lot of spend to t- a lot of time to spend on these types of things, reading scriptures, etc. Currently, you've committed to a local church and you follow Christ, but you have an inner sense of confusion and frustration. People all around you have placed intense pressure upon you to do the right thing. Authorities are threatening you daily, challenging your stance and physically abusing you. You need to turn away from Christ, they tell you. You need to do the right thing. People in your church, people in your family say, do the right thing, turn to Christ. You are confused. Even the people in your church give you varying degrees of relevance with regards to this religion, with regards to knowing Christ. You ask yourself, but I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was in the right spot. You hesitate. Part of you, if not all of you, wants to do what is right in God's eyes. You're anxious. You're uncertain. You're reluctant to speak out. Isn't what you've always been taught right? You followed the laws that was taught to you to the best of your ability. And then as Jesus came along and you were excited about the different opportunities that he presented to you. They were fresh, invigorating, and to many around you, They were the flavor of the day. Jesus said all the right things. He showed miracles and signs. And all the world was beginning to take notice. And then he died like all the others before him. It was simply not something that you did. Leaders, kings, did not die or lead from far away. And yet Jesus said that that's exactly what he was going to do. This wasn't new to him. It was new to you. He said that he would leave from heaven. Excitement was growing daily, yet you yourself were confused. You begin to read what is before you in the book of Hebrews because others in your circle feel that it's worthwhile. Like sheep in the the field, you follow the flock. With confusion, anxiety, and little understanding of what your lot in life is, You seek answers and direction in this writing. Now you've gotten to chapter 11, verse 7. Not the total story, but it speaks of one of the areas that you have anxiety in. And that is hope. Your first reflections are here on hope. Your first concern is that hope or lack thereof that you hold in this new relationship with Jesus will fade and fall away. It was a thrill to see all that he had done in the world, the miracles and the signs, 
He had shown these things to you, but now he is gone. And that has softened the edge. You're not as passionate for him as you once were. There has to be something better. But was Jesus, is Jesus, that something? Next slide, please, Dave. So we want to talk about hope. I think all of us have had hope over the past 12 weeks. We've hoped for different things. We've hoped for an end to this virus. We've hoped for all kinds of different things. I hope that you turn to the Lord in your need for hope. But you know, during all of that time, He has not changed. God has remained the same. You've changed. We're not wearing face masks. Many stores are not open. Many have not got jobs anymore. Many don't have the financial security that they used to have. But God is still there. He's no different today than He was yesterday. And He'll be the same again tomorrow. He promises to be with you, to be patient, to be loving, and to protect you. Every day was a challenge before you knew Jesus. It's been a challenge since you've known Jesus. Nothing has changed. Is Jesus the answer? You reflect back upon the time of Moses when he brought laws to the people of Israel. You ask yourself, did they not hope that Moses had the right things to say, pardon me, regarding being brought out of Egypt and led to the promised land? Did they not believe that God had put those words on Moses' heart? What had changed? Perhaps the people saw the promises differently than Moses presented them. Perhaps they grew tired of waiting. Or perhaps they were simply focused on themselves to give any thought to the notion of a God instead of lending a helping hand. Because of this mislaid hope, their disobedience and refusal to trust God, a complete generation missed out on the hope of entering the promised land. You accept this as true because you have been taught this over the years. You simply don't want this to happen to you. You don't want to miss out on the promises that are made to you. That is your hope, to have that delivered to you. So as we look at some of these verses here, you're going to see that there are verses in the first 11 chapters that speak of hope. And you garner things from it. Chapter 3, verse 6 reads, But Christ has a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You want to be in Jesus' house? Hold firm to your hope. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence or hope steadfast to the end. Partakers of Christ. You have to be faithful to Him. You have to believe in Him. Verses 10 and 11. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love for which you have shown towards His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You have showed towards His name. You have been focused on Christ. He's telling you to continue that focus. Verse 17, 18, and 19. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise Are you an heir of promise? The immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath. The two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. 
This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast for which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. There's that hope again. But not just a whimsical hope. A hope that will anchor your soul. Verses 25 and 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If that doesn't give you hope, nothing will. If that doesn't make you reflect on this Jesus and realize the power that he has and the ability that he has, and the reason why you follow Him, then nothing will. Perhaps hope is just a wishful thinking. Perhaps when you have no hope, your future is futile. But these verses seem to say different. These verses seem to say that if you put your hope in Christ, there is an end result that is very rewarding for you. But you have to put it in Christ. They seem to say that there is a hope that is anchored in God Himself. It's not anchored in anything that is mankind made. It's not anchored in the Pharisees. It's not anchored in the building of the synagogue. It's not anchored in the authority that is around you, whether it be the Romans or the Jews or whoever it happens to be. It is anchored in God. He encourages us to be firm in our hope and in what we believe to trust that His Son can deliver You're being offered another chance to enter the promised land. Will you lose this one as well? You know that the hope is an optimistic attitude of mind based on an expectation or desire. Hope says, in the future, it could happen. But you're worried, will it? Yes, absolutely yes. You observe that Jesus did all this so that your hope would not be futile. Maybe there is something to this. You surmise that the difference here versus the time of Moses is that while the messenger Moses died, this new messenger, the Son of God, lives forever and is unchangeable and unable to sin. And therefore, he's unable to lie and ultimately he is capable of what he says he will do. It is a hope for today and for tomorrow, forever and ever. He says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Maybe that's what it's meant by The hope. Certainly in these ten plus chapters, there is a picture drawn of someone who is certainly able, certainly capable, and certainly brought here under the authority of a living God. You become humbled and are realizing that you have not trusted perhaps as deeply in this Jesus as you should have. Your faith, your trust exhibits a lack of commitment. But you see faith being spoken of even in verse 1 as if it was directed just to you. Perhaps this book can help here. If only you had tapped into a faith that was so much greater than you have admitted to this point. Admit it and move on. Next slide, Dave. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
things not seen. You know what it is that you're hoping for. But it's being delivered to you by something that you don't understand, that you can't see, that had been unseen. If you reflect here, you'll notice that God has meticulously through the first ten chapters of Hebrews laid out his plan to reconcile us back to him. Until this point, we had not clearly seen his working in the world, nor witnessed it in our personal lives, perhaps as clearly as we should have. Perhaps we took it too glibly. Perhaps it was convenient, but it didn't seem necessary at the time. The evidence of the past and the evidence of your forefathers indicate that that's exactly what's been going on. That God has been there all along. God has not changed. God is faithful, able to do what he does, and is waiting for you. So who's the culprit here? Certainly not God. Certainly not Jesus. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by things that were visible. So if you take him at his word and you say that he indeed created the world, you didn't see him create the world. You don't know how he created the world. You don't know who created the world with him. You don't know how it was done. And yet you believe. That's faith. That's faith. We all say we have it, but do we believe it? Do we act like it is truth and it is absolute and it is part of what we do every day? You know, he's a patient God. He's able and true to his word. He's faithful, not only to himself by doing what he said he would, but to us through his unchangeable attitude. The fact that he's there, that he's promised us things, and that he's just patient, waiting for us to come to him. This God is truly a living God that has been here from the beginning and will be there at the end. If you are not amazed by his faith, you should be. He does what he says he will. He never abandons you to the dark side. He has a plan for you personally that is infallible. And he has the power to deliver that plan. The power came through his son, Jesus Christ which is the focus of your concern, the focus of your anxiety, the focus of your despair, your angst, your uncertainty, your fear. Many, many words. He gives you hope because He gives you a reason to believe, a reason to have faith in Him. You know, in a lot of ways, this is God's legacy of faithfulness to you. Exactly what's going on here. Now, there's many examples of faith and guidance and encouragement, staying strong in the faith, to focus on others who are strong, to be patient and determined. Chapter 3, 1 and 2 says, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his hosts. Jesus Christ was faithful to God. And that is shown by the fact that he now sits at the right hand of God in heaven. Verse 12, chapter 6 says, Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You have to make certain that you agree with God's word. 
And not only with your circumstances and what you believe it should say, but what does God say it should say? You have to believe that. You have to be patient and wait for God's time to do things, to answer your requests, to deliver on His promises. It's not what you need. It's what God thinks you need. He will deliver. He is faithful in all that He has promised. Verse 23 in chapter 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. So here's that example of God being faithful to you. It dawns on you that your hope is just that, a wish or desire of something that may happen, but you have no backup to enforce that existence. That backup is a faith, pardon me, a faith in God through Jesus Christ. He is indeed a force that can deliver and enforce what He has promised. Faith says it is so, and it is so now. We don't believe that in many ways, shapes, and forms. We only come to the Lord as a last substitute for what we have on our list. We have things that we think we want to accomplish. We take it to the Lord in prayer. But then rather than listening to what He has to say to us, we do it our own way. And when it fails, we turn to the Lord and say, You're not listening to me, Lord. Why didn't you hear my prayer? I asked for so-and-so and you delivered such-and-such. Uh, hmm, think about that, folks. You know, the depth of your relationship with Jesus, you just said that you were uncertain about it, that you weren't too clear on where you need to go. It demonstrates your conviction or your lack thereof of putting Jesus where He belongs. His preeminence as the Son of God. His preeminence as first. Even though he sought to be a servant, he is not a servant. He is a servant in a way, but he is not a servant to us. He is a Savior. Not only a Savior, the Savior. There is no other. This is not a God that is far away, unreachable, aloof, or one who lays the load on somebody else. He is near, always and able to do as he commands. Now these are some excerpts from... Chapter 1, verses 5, 8, 10, 11, and 12. And I didn't want to write them all down, but some of the phrases that come out of there. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens and the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will still remain. And they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. You start to feel better. You start to feel stronger. You start to feel that maybe this Jesus that you had laid some hope in is worth the effort. That you need to focus upon Him a little bit more. Perhaps it's time to change that. Next slide, Dave. So here we come to this verse that really packs a wallop. It says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You made a commitment like that 
but you never thought it would result in what it has. You didn't realize that there was going to have to be an effort on your part to make this work. You thought that he would provide everything, that he would do everything for you, and that in the end, you would get this major reward. It doesn't quite work that way. There are a few little things that you have to do. It says in verse 4, for example, that by faith Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. He pleased God who still speaks through Abel to this very day. Abel pleased God. And so Abel is in the presence of God. And Abel is going to reap those rewards that have been promised. Verse 5 says that Enoch, through faith, did not see death because God found him pleasing in his testimony. It doesn't speak anything about how Enoch treated the authorities of the day, how Enoch treated other people, about how Enoch lived. Was it a long life? Was it a short life? But what it does say is that he was faithful. And through that word faithful, that is a demonstration that you lived as God would want you to live. You did care about your neighbors. You did love your neighbor as yourself. You did respect the authorities that were there before you. That doesn't mean that you fell down and agreed to everything that they said, but you were respectful. That you did look out for the poor. That you did realize that there was more to this world than you. And so here we are. Enoch is in heaven as well. Because God was pleased with him. Verse 7 says that only believers in God can come to God. You must have faith that He is real. You know, we used to say, and we do say sometimes even now, you know, just say this phrase and you will be saved. But there's a subsequent action that comes with that phrase because once you say this phrase that you believe in the Son of God, that He is who He is, that He died for you, and you know all of those other things that come along, there is the commitment to change your life because you are no longer the person who was born on this earth. You are simply on this earth, occupying a body for the purpose of pleasing God. That is the change that should have been made in your life when you came to know the Lord. You know, when it says here that he who comes to God must believe that he is, that reminds me of many verses in the Bible where they ask him what his name is and he says, I am. Well, I am is sort of present tense. He is his present tense. And I sort of related those together. There's not anything else you can say. He is. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. He is unchangeable. He is patient. He is passionate. He is compassionate. He is omnipotent. I mean, go on and on and on. He is. That's who you're seeking. But you can't just seek Him, say these words, and then walk away. You have to be diligent. And I think diligent means you continue on. Just doing that today and walking away and turning to something else is not sufficient. He wants you to continue to be in His Word. You know, we've just went through 
I don't know, three months, give or take, of being isolated. Did it bring you closer to God or farther away from God? Did you spend more time in His Word or less time in His Word? Did you learn anything from God in the past 14, 16 weeks? Can you list those on a piece of paper? Would it fill a page? Mm-hmm. Not too sure. You see, for those who have their hope grounded in faith, grounded in the belief that this Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, that He did die for you and He rose again, that He was faithful to His Father, that He was grounded in hope because of that faith, that He did what He did because of that faith, And the result of that is that he pleased his Father. He pleased God in heaven. Now here you are coming along and saying that you want to be a partaker of Jesus Christ. You want to be ambassadors for Christ. You want to be co-workers for Christ. Many different words throughout the Bible. In order to do that, you have to emulate Christ. That means being faithful having your hope grounded in faith. You know, his son, if his son had not pleased him through his faithfulness and obedience, we would not be here talking today as we are because it would all be irrelevant. But that indeed did happen. And it is important that we realize that. That he did not fall back but he persevered to the end. He was diligent. Simply becoming a diligent seeker of those and getting a reward for that faith is really not enough. It's wanting to please God. That's what it's all about. Look at it this way. Hope, he just gave it to you. He's given it to you every day. Faith, he's offered that to you as well. He simply wants you to grab a hold of it. Run with it. Believe in it. Use it as your foundation. Use it as your stepping stone. And pleasing God, He knows that if you believe Him, if you have that hope and that faith, and you are diligent to seek Him, that you will please Him and you will reap that reward. Okay, folks. So now it's time to wake up from the dream. Come back to this life. But you know something? It was only a dream, but it can apply to each and every one of us today. It's as valid today as it was thousands of years ago. Okay? And that individual that we don't know the name of, that could have been you, but it is you today. So you need to take that step that this individual took back then. You know, put yourselves in his feet, in his steps. Do you feel yourself wanting? Do you realize that you often look at a passage in the Bible and when you don't see what you want to see there, you ignore it. You go on to something else and you forget it was even there. Because it didn't answer what you wanted to hear. But you know something? In God's words, it answered what God wanted you to hear. So that's why sometimes we go back and we read a verse 20, 30 times. We may read it over the years. 
And it may not be until 8, 10, 15 years later that all of a sudden we get this wow moment and we say, ah, now I see what he wanted me to do. Now I see where I missed it. That's because of the hope that you have that is grounded in faith in Christ Jesus. And that's because of your diligence in continuing to try and seek the Lord. You know, it's not complicated. We make it complicated. And that's unfortunate. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's right in front of you. He just wants you to grasp it. Live the hope grounded in strong faith that He has promised you. Believe in the true living God and please Him. That is your purpose in life. Simple. Simple. And His is to reward you for the passion that you seek Him out. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's just bow in a word of prayer as we close. Lord, we are so thankful that You love us, that You are faithful to us, that You are compassionate and patient with us. Lord, we acknowledge that all we have is because of You. And even in those times, Lord, Lord, when we are not too certain of where we stand, may we realize that You are always there beside us. That if we are not able to take that next step, You will lift us over that puddle, over that chasm, to the next spot. That we are never alone. That there is no need for sadness. Because even through a mundane life, as Dr. Ager said, we can have joy and joy abundantly simply by knowing You. Simply by diligently seeking You out and trusting in You. Lord, it appeared that uh, Dr. Ager had a hope, but it was not based on anything that was clear to her, clear to her and understandable to others around her. But Lord, we have a hope that is grounded in You. Our faith, Lord, is grounded in that hope. And it is because of Your Son and His example as being totally faithful to You that we are here now, Lord, studying Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that just the simple message that is there, hope grounded in faith, seek You, Lord, please You, be there always. Lord, we just thank You for this day. We thank You for all that You have done for us. And we ask Your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.